Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Napa know-how. Right now, Napa Legend batteries come with a $15 rebate by mail. Their long-lasting durability stands up to extreme conditions. So even on scorching days, it'll puff its chest out and be all like, hey, summer heat, find another car battery to drain. Napa Legend batteries with $15 mail-in rebate. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores. Offer expires 831.18. Blog Talk Radio. And good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. I am MC Money, and I'm joined by certain the creepy soccer dad. We have Houts still off the air for another week as he um, most understandably recovers and grieves um, as his father passed away several weeks ago, uh, two weeks ago, one or two weeks ago. And uh, he just needs time, as, as we all do in those types of situations. So Houts has another week off. He is hoping to come back next week. We told Houts. We said, listen, man, you know, you take your time. You'll know when you're ready to come back. You would like Absolutely. to come back one more. You would like to take this week off and come back next week. So we'll see. We'll gladly, obviously, welcome him back with open arms. Now, the Dolphins started training camp last week, and a lot has happened in that short amount of time. But compared to other teams in the NFL, such as the Chargers, for example, where they lost their first and second round pick, for the season, well, the first-round pick, Mike Williams, is not confirmed out for the season, but it's likely he might be. And then Forrest Lamp today uh, suffering a season-ending injury. Just very, you know, sad stuff, heartbreaking stuff, especially talented players like that. Ravens losing a few guys, including Joe Flacco and Nico Siragusa, the, the offensive guard towards MCL, ACL, PCL, if PCL is even a thing. I'm not even sure, but he tore a lot of CLs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is yeah. a PCL, believe it or okay, not. Yes, it's not yes, made yes. up. Yeah, yeah. So, so he is out, and, and man, you know, like we said last week going off the air, remember we said get through training camp without any major injuries. Everything else is a yep. bonus, right? Yeah. The Dolphins, so far, and I'm knocking on wood. You guys hear me knocking on wood right there. Uh, you know, crazy stuff. Before we talk about the Dolphins' <laughs> injuries, I just want to let everyone know. Richmond Webb, Miami Dolphins All-Pro, member of the Dolphins Ring of Honor, will be joining us in just a few minutes. 
He'll be talking about the offensive line, Mike Pouncey, the, the injury situation there, and so forth. So that will be just in a few minutes. But let's talk about the Dolphins injuries. We had Rashad Jones come off the NFL I list, which is the non-football injury list. Rashad Jones tweaked a muscle working out on his own just a few days before a training camp. So when they put him on uh, the non-football injury list, that means they could pull him off at any time as long as he doesn't participate in any practices. Uh, before that time and during that time, he crushed, according to Adam Gase, his conditioning test earlier, which gave no choice to the Dolphins but to activate him, and he started practicing uh, or getting involved in activities once again today. But there is no reason to rush. Adam Gase says that he's taking it a little slow because uh, just a calf injury. Uh, Gase said he doesn't want to bring him back too fast. We'll get into that quote a little longer. J.H.I. is suffering a concussion. We'll get an to it as well. But the big thing before we bring Richmond Webb on is Isaiah Ford. And Isaiah Ford, seventh-round pick for the Miami Dolphins, according to my consensus rankings, with, which was a bunch of different draft guides put together, Isaiah Ford was the biggest steal of the draft. Now, he had surgery on his knee on Wednesday because he had meniscus damage um, to his knee. Now... They're saying they may put Isaiah Ford on injured reserve, ending his rookie season before the season even begins. But Sutton, please explain to us why this may be a blessing in disguise for Isaiah Ford. Yeah, it seems kind of backwards to call it a blessing in disguise, especially from the point of view of Isaiah Ford. But from the team perspective, we're looking at that wide receiver five, wide receiver six. Um, There's a lot of competition there. So it actually makes this a borderline easier decision for us because we have fewer people to sift through. And then Isaiah Ford has the opportunity to not have to rush back, you know, halfway, 75% of the way through the regular season. Um, And it's very likely he wouldn't be able to contribute at that point anyway because he had just gotten back from knee surgery. So it just makes sense from a health standpoint to just go ahead and shut it down for the year. But then you also have the silver lining of him still being able to be with the team and learn the nuances of the position, perhaps, you know, in the meeting rooms, get more time with the coaches uh, while he's rehabbing. And then when he comes back next year, then we're going to revisit this whole wide wide receiver depth chart. But I think going into this year, we all saw how many bodies we had there. We have depth there. And, uh, you know, looking at that signing of Jordan Westerkamp recently, you know, you have to factor that into it. So there's still going to be competition at that, um, the bottom of the wide receiver depth chart there in terms of who is on the active 53. So long story short, we just have fewer players to have to sift through. So now we really just have Jakeem Grant and some of the undrafted free agents there challenging for the wide receiver five spot. Rashawn Scott's probably in there, but he's also dealing with his own injuries. Um, So it's going to be interesting to play out to see how many wide receivers they keep now. Do they keep five or do they keep six? Yeah, no, that that will be an interesting case. And remember, the Dolphins have – I mean, their wide receiver room is stacked right now. They have Jarvis Landry, Devontae Parker, Kenny Stills, that's top three. Leontae Carew, uh, just based on draft status alone, will have another year with the Dolphins. So that's four. Then you got Jacane Grant, who is uh, proving himself, or at least trying to prove himself on special teams, still struggling a little bit. And we'll talk to a Dolphins fan, Eric Trader, later in the show. He's been to all the training camp practices thus far. 
We're going to talk to him about that as well. And then you got, like you said, you got Jordan Westerkamp, you got Malcolm Lewis, you got Francis Owusu, and Drew Morgan. And Adam Gates said that Drew Morgan was one of the guys who has been pre- impressing him thus far, and also Demario Stringfellow. So you got guys competing, and now the Dolphins probably carry usually five receivers, but Isaiah Ford, a long shot to make the roster anyway, may have ended up on the practice squad. But what teams like to do, if, if a rookie has an injury like this, they like to redshirt him and get him used to the culture, bring him along slowly, and this might just be what the Dolphins do with Isaiah Ford and probably likely will be what they do with Isaiah Ford because really there's no reason to rush him in for a special teams guy when you could redshirt him, put him on the sideline, make sure nothing else happens, and go from there. Agreed, Sutton? Yep, yep, totally agreed. All right, so Ford is no slouch. He caught 210 passes in three seasons at Virginia Tech for 2,967 yards with 24 touchdowns. Not really sure why he slid down. I think there were some injury concerns about him coming out of college and a very small frame. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. Get the redshirt year in there for the Miami Dolphins. Uh, get him used to the culture. Get him used to the meeting room. And let's go from there. All right. So Isaiah Ford injured. We're going to talk about another player who was injured. But we wanted some help. And that's Mike Pouncey. And we all know, you know, his injury and whether or not he's going to practice with the offensive line during the preseason and so forth. So we don't really know what's going to happen. So we're going to bring in Richmond Webb, Miami Dolphin. And we are joined now by Richmond Webb. Richmond, thank you for joining us tonight here on Finsider Radio. Hey, thanks for having me. How are you guys doing tonight? We are doing awesome. very well. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure to have Richmond Webb here on the show. Richmond We're going to get straight to it. Attack the elephants in the room. Mike Pouncey, the off-injured center for the Miami Dolphins, Pro Bowl center, all-pro center. He is an elite player and and brings the Dolphins lineup to the next level whenever he is in the actual lineup. Now, we've heard Coach Adam Gase say that he's not going to play Pouncey very much during preseason, if at all. He's not going to have him practice very much, if at all. Now, many of us are wondering, and, and you as a former offensive lineman, can the Dolphins' offensive line, especially when you have a few new pieces with Laramie Tunsil moving to left tackle and then Ted Larson and uh, Isaac Asiata competing for one of the guard spots and Jermon Bushrod back in there, and yes, Jawan James is at the right side again. But when, when you're not going through the motions and the different reps during training camp and then the preseason – is it going to be hard for the Dolphins' offensive line to all of a sudden start gelling together in week one when Mike Pouncey's inserted in that center position? Or is it more like riding a bike, and then once you get that guy in there, it takes a few, a few plays to get back in the rhythm, and then everything is good from there. What is that going to be like for the Dolphins' offensive line? You, you know it could go either way. Um, the, the good thing is, is Mike Pouncey is a veteran, and uh, he pretty much knows what it takes to pre- to get prepared to be ready for the season. But the other thing is, is the center is the vital, important part of the offensive line. Basically, he's like the quarterback of the offensive line. He identifies the front and basically makes a call. And once he makes his call, the guards and tackles communicate and it spreads outward. So um, whoever the backup center is that's back in, that's filling in for Mike Pouncey, um, he does a good job communicating. It probably won't take as long as jail. I think Mike will be there in the meetings and the walkthroughs and stuff like that. He just won't be doing any of the physical contact during practice and stuff. So um, I, I think it was the right thing to do to move Tonsil to left 
tackle. That's his natural position. So um, I know we lost Albert in free agency, but um, I think we should be pretty good. But it could take just a minute for him to jail, but I don't think it will take long at all. Okay, so now you you mentioned Mike Pouncey in the meeting rooms and work kind of thing. Are they working on the signals and the line calls in that meeting room? Are they looking at opposing defenses, especially the Buccaneers, and figuring out everything now? And, and are him and, um, you know, the backup centers going through the motions and getting on the same page in terms of how Pouncey might call a thing and then passing that on to them and then doing those reps in practice? Yeah, the first thing uh, normally that what happens, even in the meeting room, you'll get a game plan and it'll have all the different – defensive fronts that the the uh, Bucks um, play during the game. And most of the time it depends on uh, field position and field situations. If you're, you know, on a 20-yard going out and you got 80 yards, they might play a 4-3 or over or under. Um, once you identify what the defense is, uh, the play that I'm going to say Coach Gates, because he's head coach, he calls the play. So then um, Tannehill calls the play, this and that. Um, I would say Mike Thompson runs up to the line. He looks over the front. Okay, it's so over. It's a running play to the right. He'll identify the Mike linebacker or whatever. And then once he identifies the Mike or the middle linebacker, it kind of puts everybody else to where, okay, if he's the Mike, then that's, we're going to treat him as the Sam, the wheel linebacker, and the assignments go out from there. So even when we will watch film on, um, you know, different teams get prepared for, we've been in the meeting room, and a coach might say, what defense is that? Is it over-under? Is it 6-2? Is it a, you know, 3-4, 4-3? So he might ask me, and I identify it, and then um, he might say, Tim Ruddy, make the call. What's your call on that? And then once Tim Ruddy would make the call, then me and Keith Sims or whoever would know what we were doing and working it however. So um, you play a mental game, but, you know, the fifth, you, you need the physicality of it, but you, you, you got to have your mental reps down as well, too. Richmond, thank you so much for spending some time with us. I remember talking to you a few weeks before the draft and really value your insight for Dolphins football. I want to cut straight to the chase and, and talk about the position that you played so well for the Miami Dolphins. And I'm hoping there's another young man that's going to join you in that Dolphins um, uh, honor roll, and that's Laramie Tunsil. Um, what are your impressions of him and his transition to left tackle? Obviously, that is his natural position, but he did play left guard for us last year. So I'm just wondering if you've seen anything from camp, if you've been able to look at any of his film and see any of his weaknesses. Because, honestly, I dug into his tape, and, you know, there were about 70 or so snaps from left tackle last year. And I came away Uh very impressed with his athleticism, his strength, his anchor, his leverage. I'm just not seeing too many chinks in the armor, so I'm I'm, I'm kind of leaning on you to see if there's anything that he can work on because I know from a philosophical standpoint, he's already kind of came out and said and told Charles Harris what his weaknesses are and kind of wants him to beat that. So it seems like a young man ready to face his weaknesses and turn them into a strength. So have you seen anything on tape that maybe he should work on? Uh, I haven't seen a lot of tape of him, you know, during training camp or anything, but um, uh, I agree with you. I think left tackle is his uh, natural position. remember watching him at Ole Miss, um, and when the Dolphins drafted him, you know, he was like the 13th pick that, you know, he was slotted to be easily a top five pick until the 
the little stuff in the draft, but I thought it was a great addition for the Dolphins. And um, I'm looking for them to have an excellent year this year. I think that's his natural position. And um, uh, I, I thought it was good that he was able to adjust for playing left tackle to left guard last year. And I'm sure he learned a lot of stuff from, from Albert with him being a veteran playing next to him. Mm-hmm. But, you know, playing guard and tackle is different. A lot of, you know, your bigger guys are in the middle. Your uh, pass set has to be a lot firmer. Um, you don't have much space to you know, run a guy around and stuff like that. So um, I think that definitely helped with him playing with more leverage and stuff like that, playing against the bigger guys. So, uh, I'm looking for him to have a great year, you know, barring injury and go out there and dominate. And I'm, I'm expecting big, huge, huge things from this, this young man. Absolutely. Totally agree. And just kind of, I want to kind of piggyback, you kind of alluded to it, you know, with the transition from guard to tackle, could you just walk through and, and just to give a quick context, I feel like a lot of fans don't understand uh, the techniques that are going on in the trenches when y'all are battling. So could you talk Uh a little bit about the difference in techniques that are necessary when you do move from guard to tackle, what, what's going on there and and how does a player survive at that new position? If you move from guard to tackle, um, basically the difference is um, you have your, uh, a lot of times you have your speed rushers like uh, say a Vaughn Miller or something like that. They're, ne- they're not necessarily bigger guys, but they're a lot quicker, and they get up the field. So you've got to really have great footwork, great technique, and uh, you have a little bit more space to kind of, you know, run them around. Whereas if you play offensive guard, center, or the guard positions, if you look at a quarterback, he takes steps and sets up and try to build the pocket to kind of look like a b- banana. The two tackles kind of, you know, run the guys around, but you want to firm up those middle three guys that just when, when the tackle's running around, if they're sitting firm and not giving up too much ground, if Tannehill has a step up in the pocket to deliver the throw, he has room to do that. But if the the, the inside of the pocket collapses and he don't have anywhere to step up, a lot of times that's where you get your pressures, your sacks, and, you know, everything just goes haywire. So, um, if you're in the middle, you got to set a lot firmer, not give as much ground. Uh, the tackles, they set back a little bit more and kind of run the guys around. I don't know if that kind of gives everybody a little explanation. I'm just trying to keep it as simple as possible, but that's that's kind of the concept. <laughs> We're joined here by Richmond Webb here on Finsider Radio. Richmond Webb drafted in 1990 in the first round, pick number nine was a protector for Dan Marino for many years up until the year 2000, uh, uh, played for the Cincinnati Bengals for one year after that. Seven-time Pro Bowl or four-time All-Pro. Richmond, one more question here before we let you go for the evening. Isaac Asiata, fifth-round pick, pick number 164 in, in this past NFL draft, coming into the league as a rookie, coming in as an offensive lineman. Many people deem the offensive line as a safe position to draft because there is not too much of a steep learning curve and it's not a skill position like the receiver, like the cornerback, and a lot of the learning going on there. So for Isaac Asiata, obviously has to compete, has to beat out guys like Ted Larson, Jermon Bushrod for a starting spot on the line. How hard is it going to be for him, for any rookie, to come in as an offensive lineman and learn the system, learn the playbook, and learn how to play on the interior of the offensive line? Yeah, I think what a lot of people discount, like you said, uh, he's – 
you know, a later round draft pick and not saying that, you know, if he starts, that's huge. But just being able to make the 53-man roster is, is also a huge addition. And I think what a lot of people don't understand is if he makes the team and he's a backup, he has to learn more than one position. So if he's a right guard, he has to know what the left guard is done, and he's probably going to have to know backup center just in case of emergency. So they don't mm-hmm. just say, okay, you're going to play right guard. If you're a backup, you're going to have to be – able to cover multiple positions. So it actually makes it tougher a lot of times on the backups. And most of the time in training camp, you might get some of the reps. But once the regular season starts, the um, the starters get the majority of the reps. So you really have to do your mental reps. You have to prepare in the family room and stuff like that because, like I always tell guys, you're one play away from being a starter. Somebody gets hurt and go down, you got to be able to step up and go in there and you can't say, oh, I didn't get that many reps in practice, so I don't know what to do. You know, they're not trying to hear the excuses. You're a professional, and you got to prepare like you're ready to play if somebody goes down. So um, I've always had a tremendous amount of respect for guys that back up because typically they have to know more than one position and be able to fill in. And, and, and a lot of times you get, a comfort zone like me, I played on the left side my whole career. If I went to the right side, I, I would feel totally awkward because it's like everything's backwards. But um, if you're a backup guy, no matter what, you've got to be able to function on both sides. So uh, that's why I, I have tremendous respect. So don't just discount, and I know a lot of people say it's not a skill position, but no matter what you do out there, you got to perform, and you got to perform at a, at a high rate, and if not, they're going to find somebody else to do it. So um, young man's got a lot of work ahead of him. But if he if he approaches the right way, I think he has a good chance to make that football team. All right, good stuff. Richmond, I said one more question, but I, I do promise you this is the very last one. You played with Jason Taylor for a few years. He's going to the Hall of Fame on Sunday. Any story that you remember with Jason Taylor that you can share on air with us? Yeah, I, I did an interview a couple of days ago, and uh, the one that stuck out and, and – Ironically, what was uh, kind of funny about it was the same story that I picked was, um, uh, I guess they interviewed Sam Madison, and after I told the story, he said the guy guy told me Sam Madison picked the exact same story that um, <laughs> I think this was 99 or 2000. I think it was 2000. And we were on the road, and we were playing the Cincinnati Bengals, and I think I was hurt that game. I didn't play. But I remember we went up there, and we wasn't hitting on all cylinders. It was kind of dragging it right before half. I remember the defense was going back out there, and Jason Taylor said, um, I'm going to make a play to change the game or whatever. He said, I'm going to make something happen. <laughs> momentum. And he went out there, and he sacked the quarterback. I think it was Achilles Smith. Sacked him, forced fumble, and maybe recovered it for a touchdown. And that <laughs> play there – swung the momentum, and we ended up beating them and, and got everybody going. But we were just in a funk. We weren't playing well or whatever. But uh, a lot of times, and he came back to the sideline, he said, I told you I was going to go <laughs> and do that. And he actually did. It was, it was a funny story, but, you know, it was just, you know, a guy with a tremendous talent, and I'm just so happy for him because, um, you know, being a third rounder coming in and, you know, playing at Akron and this and that, and then to just, accelerate the way he did, but, you know, he put the work in. And um, 
uh, I, you know, I give him credit for, for doing it. You know, he put the work in and became one of the all-time pass rushers and, you know, all-time national greats and one of the 50 greatest players. But, um, yeah, I am just happy for him. I'll be up there this weekend to, to you know, watch him go into the uh, Hall of Fame and all that. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm tremendously happy. I couldn't, couldn't happen to a better guy. Yeah, tremendous talent there. Richmond, always good to have you here on Finsider Radio. You've been very good to us, always willing to come on the show. Uh, enjoy your weekend in Canada and, and have a great rest of the evening, okay? Hey, you, you guys too. Thanks for having me on again. I appreciate it. Thank right, you, Richmond. Thank you. Okay. All right. All right. That was Richmond Webb. Richmond Webb, always a fantastic guest here on Finsider Radio. Again, drafted by the Dolphins in 1990. Played for them until the year 2000 was Dan Marino's blindside protector for uh, Webb. Webb was that for Webb's entire career. Marino obviously played several years before Webb came onto the team, then had that one-year stint with the Cincinnati Bengals, 2001 to 2002. Again, I'll, I'll list off the accomplishments Webb had throughout his career. UPI AFL AFC Rookie of the Year in 1990, seven-time Pro Bowler from 1990 to 1996 four-time All-Pro from 1992 to 1995, NFL 1990s All-Decade team, a member of the Miami Dolphin Honor Roll. I said before we introduced him, he was a member of the Ring of Honor, but he is actually a member of the Honor Roll. Um, yeah, I mean, Richmond always has great insight for us and tremendous player, tremendous person drafted in that first round of the 1990 NFL draft out of Texas A&M, pick number nine, Great insight for us. The guy does not have enough followers on Twitter at Richmond Webb. Please follow him. Always interacts with the fans. Sutton, I mean, your recap from from that talk with him. I agree. He's criminally un you know unfollowed on Twitter. Like we 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 have to fix that. I mean, the guy is just reeking with football knowledge. And I think one of the biggest points he made was those depth players when you were asking about Asiata is, you know, if you're that sixth or seventh offensive lineman on the 53-man roster, you can't just learn one play. And that's why cross-training is so important. And I think we forget that. You know, we kind of think, oh, well, if Asiata doesn't work out, then we'll just put, you know, Urbic or, you know, Steen at left guard and then, yeah, Asiata will still be on the active roster, but he'll only play left guard. No, that's not the case. And there needs to be cross-training involved, and that's why they're cross-training Urbic, Steen, Ted Larson, and Asiata will undoubtedly be a part of that group. So very important piece there from Richmond that offensive linemen don't always just play one position. They might have to learn multiple ones, and that's – an even taller task for a rookie. So if you do get beat out by that veteran, it makes that learning curve a little bit steeper for you because now you have to learn more positions. So it's an interesting kind of double-edged sword there. So I'm glad that he brought that to the surface. Yeah, no, I think that was my biggest takeaway too. I mean, he talked about Laramie Tunsil and, and the natural fit at the left tackle position, talked about the difference between left tackle and right tackle. And since you touched on Asiata and the backups and what they go through, my, my, I'll go the uh, left tackle versus right tackle because we hear so many people, right? Oh, just draft a left tackle, put him at right tackle, draft the right tackle, put him at left tackle. But as you can see from Webb talking about it, it is two totally different things, right? He says that 
it is totally backwards. You have to learn everything basically in reverse. I mean, imagine learning the ABCs in reverse. It will take you a little bit of time, right? And it will take you even yeah. a longer time to do it fluently. So that's maybe not the best example in terms of a football player and a speed rusher coming at you full speed who's 235 <laughs> pounds, right, and coming to the quarterback's head. And your job is to protect that quarterback while you're making millions of dollars. And the guy across from you is making millions and millions of dollars more. So just imagine how hard that must be. You know, people talk about when they move Jonathan Martin. I know that's a really bad example. But other guys, you know, people say, oh, just move Jawan James here. Just move, you know, that player to the other side. Just move Billy Turner to the other side. Move, uh, who was it, Dallas Thomas to the other side. It's not that easy. And we sit at home and we think it's easy because we think it's just football is football. But as you heard from Richard Webb, it is not. It is two totally different things. And I think – you know, the more we bring on former players, the more we talk about this, I think the more awareness we can spread and the more awareness we can give to those who listen to our show. Uh, my mom, dad, your mom and dad, and maybe our cousins. <laughs> and that's uh, it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, you know, we can give them more awareness as to, you know, what it really takes to play the game of football in the NFL and really what it all entails. Oh, and when you think about it, too, when you're drafting these young guys out of college, if, you're, if you draft a left tackle and you want to put him at left guard, we were very lucky that Laramie Tunsil was able to play the left guard at a reasonably high um, productivity last year because when you have – I mean, I'm just thinking Jameel Douglas, he, who was a left tackle for Arizona State, and then he comes in, we want to plug him in at left guard, and he gets destroyed. Um, so it makes sense that some of these college players that are used to one position and then they come to the pros and are asked to man a completely different position, why some of those players might fail. Yeah, no, you're completely right. We we got lucky. I say we, the Miami Dolphins, got lucky. We as fans got lucky. Terrible situation. falling like that in the draft. But, hey, Dan Marino fell too. Aaron Rodgers fell. Lots of players have fallen. All right. So yep. we talked about the offensive line. We talked about training camp. We talked about all that kind of stuff going on. We're going to bring on our own training camp correspondent. His name is Eric Trader, Miami Dolphins fan on Twitter at Bleed Aqua Orange. Give him a follow if you can. Eric, thank you for joining us here on Finsider Radio. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on tonight. Not a problem. So, Eric, you've been to most of the Dolphins training camp practices thus far. We get the live updates on Twitter from the beat reporters and others. But really, we don't get the full picture there. So, you know, for the next seven to ten minutes, we're going to talk about training camp. We're going to talk to you about what you have seen and what players have maybe stuck out to you in the atmosphere at training camp, the energy on the field, what Adam Gates does. Is he a madman out there? What the coaches do and so forth. And we'll try to get to all tonight. Eric has graciously agreed to come on the show multiple times throughout training camp to give us the week's recap. So, Eric, you've been to a few training camp practices thus far. Um Let's let's go straight to the defensive line, Charles Harris. Had you seen Charles Harris in action very much? And if so, what are your first uh, thoughts about him? Uh, you know, I mean, he's getting significant reps. I mean, obviously they're trying to see if, you know, when the pads come on, if he can flash like he did in OTAs. Uh, you know, so far I really haven't seen, you know, the kind of things we, were, we, were, we heard about coming out of minicamp and OTAs where he was just, you know, whipping guys left and right. But, you know, there's definitely – talent there you can see it it's just him bringing his his game to the next level 
Eric uh, Sutton but it's, here. Okay. Oh, sorry. Sorry, yeah. go ahead and finish your No, you're good, man. Uh, no, so I, was, I, just, I was, you know, I, I really feel like, uh, you know, down the line this guy's going to be the guy. Like, he just needs the opportunity to, you know, slow the game down a little bit, get that game up to the next level. Well, and he definitely has the tutelage there. So, um, and, and you like the charisma that the guy has, the personality, the hard work, blue ethic, or, you know, blue work, blue collar work ethic. Oh my God, I wish I could speak. <laughs> um, but 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 he he seems like he has all that. I'm gonna go back to the second level, of the defense, and some of the reports I'm seeing out of training camp about you know when Kiko Alonso's in there, but Raekwon's not. Kiko's making the calls. When Raekwon is in with Kiko, Raekwon is playing in the middle and making the calls. Have you been able to see um, how the linebacker rotation is going to kind of shake out for the regular season yet? Well, you know, in true Adam Gase form, you know, he's throwing so many different combinations out there with the linebackers coming out. It's, it's hard to keep track of, you know, who's the Mike, who's the Will. You know, it, he definitely seems like, much like what you guys were just talking about with the offensive line, cross-training is going to be key for this linebacking core. He wants to make sure that if someone needs to come in and play at the strong side, they know the calls, they know where to be. You know, if they have to come and play the mic, they know where to be, they know, how, you know which call to make. But, uh, you know, I got to say that of, of the rookies that I've been watching, you know, so far in training camp, Raekwon McMillan has been the one that has flashed the most for me. That's nice. Nice. That's awesome news just because I'm a Buckeye fan too, and I kind of love having a Buckeye and, you know, a Dolphin player. Um, anyway, my, I'm going to switch gears. My cadence makes, makes me hate that statement. <laughs> I completely understand. I'm a little bit of an oddball in that sense. Anyway, I want to get to a different uh, story, and that's when I believe it was day two, and a couple of New York Jets trolls decided to slither their way into Dolphins training camp. Were you there when they walked in, and could you walk us through what the response was like for them? Uh, you know, you know, living down here in Florida, you get used to Jets fans, Bills fans, Pats fans. They're just they, – they transplant themselves down here. So, you, you so just kind of get used to it. it you, for a team that's probably going to go, you know, 1-15, and 2-14, and 14, you know, if they got to come get some thrills here at Dolphins training camp, maybe see what a winning team looks like, I don't know. You know, they definitely got the kind of reception that I'm sure they were hoping for. You know, they got the J-E-T-S suck, suck, suck yeah. chance going for them. But, you know, I mean, you could tell from the grin on the face that, you know, they were just there to get booed and, and to just – troll people and you know like i'm just like you know they're here for their own reasons you know i'm trying to keep my eye on this on this training camp here you know i'll let all these other people chant them out of here but you know that's that's no skin off my nose it's it's, it's <laughs> you know it's it's no nothing new for for anyone who's lived in florida for a significant yeah. amount of time all yeah, fair enough all the snowbirds come down eric were you there at the practice with uh jhi and the concussion I was. Okay, so, uh, yeah, he great. Took a pop. so talk to us. Talk to us about that. What happened? We know T.J. McDonald came down hard, but now they're saying it was just a thud. I mean, what was that? Did you notice anything right away with that? I mean, he he definitely laid a pop on him. You know, I mean, he came in quick. He had a beat on him. Um, I don't think that 
you know, looking at it and seeing it happen, uh, I don't think that Jay was maybe bracing for a hit that hard. So yeah. when he did get popped, you know, he kind of didn't have that shoulder lowered. So he wasn't able to absorb the impact on a hit like he normally does. You know, you've seen him do, you know, hundreds of times in some of these, these games. Um, you know, and, you know, it seems to me like the concussion that he did get was from the, the landing, not necessarily the hit, where, you know, when you hit the ground real quick and your head does that quick whip, you know, you can get those, those mild to, to medium concussions. Uh, you know, it seemed to me like that was where the, the concussion came from, not from the actual pop from McDonald's. Hmm. Very interesting. That's Got- very interesting. Gotcha. Let, let's stick with the whole health aspect of everything and just let us know um, from the stands, you know, fans are looking at Ryan Tannehill's mobility with the knee brace. We're looking at Mike Pouncey bouncing back from his hip injuries. How have they looked kind of flown around during training camp? Does it seem like they've regained form? Does it seem like there's still a little stiffness there? Walk us through what you've seen from Tannehill and Pouncey so far. Uh, you know, Tannehill, yeah, I've seen, you know, some of the videos that the beat writers down here have shared on Twitter from minicamp OTAs, you know, him running agility drills, you know, I've seen him moving on that knee prior to just showing up to training camp and, and you know, seeing how vehemently he's telling reporters, don't ask me about the knee, you know, I kind of figured that we were going to look at, you know, Ryan Tannehill from before the injury. And, you know, he has, he has lived up to that. You know, I mean, I was there this morning, uh, you know, he went off on like a little scramble where he was getting flushed out of the pocket and picked up a first down. He, there, was, there was no step missing. You know, he didn't look like he was favoring a knee. He didn't look like he was trying to protect the knee. He looked, you know, extremely confident running out of the pocket. Uh, but as far as Pouncey, they've got him on the sideline just kind of doing the individual stuff, you know, just kind of trying to get him ready. Uh, you know, I know you guys just talked to Richmond about, you know, his role in the, in the film room, and it seems to me like the team is really on that 16-plus, we don't need you until we need you kind of plan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. All right, Eric, one more question. And we're joined right now by Eric Trader. He is our training camp correspondent, attends most of the training camp practices. will give us weekly updates when he can about the uh, week's happenings. One more question for you, Eric. We, we, I'm, we said a lot about what we see uh, on Twitter from the beat reporters and others. We don't really get a good look at behind the scenes. So I want you to paint the picture for us. When you see Adam Gase on that practice field, right, what is he doing? Is he a madman? Is he running around? Is he just looking at the offense? Is he involved? Is he talking to players? What, what is, what's your uh, opinion of him as he runs his practices? Well, you know, I've been going to these training camps for, you know, years and years here. My dad used to take him to me when I was a little kid. Uh, you know, I can tell you that I've seen coaches come and go. I've seen Sperano. I've seen, you know, Philbin out there and Cam Cameron and all, and all these guys. You know, Philbin was the guy that stood in the middle of the field and he just kind of turned around and watched everything and never really left his little spot. You know, Gase is involved, you know, on the defensive side. He's watching the offensive side. You know, you can definitely tell that he does have more of a preference for the offensive aspect but he is still getting involved in the defense and he is still kind of over there trying to make sure that he has a firm grip on, on everything his team is doing. Uh, you know, he just seems like he's really involved and, you know, he really does try to connect with players. Uh, you do see him talking to guys on the sideline where if they're taking their rest reps, 
you know, he's over there talking to them. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously we don't know what they're talking about, but, you know, it seems like just the way he interacts with players that, you know, you can kind of see that rapport that we hear about so much that these guys love, you know, love playing for this guy. You know, you can see it on that practice field. All right. Eric, really good stuff. Thank you for joining us tonight on Finsider Radio. We hope to talk to you next week. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Have a good night. All right, Eric, take care. All right, that's Eric Trader, our training camp correspondent. Huge thanks to Eric for taking time out of his busy schedule uh, to uh, talk to us tonight. Really good insight there on training camp. Like to hear Rayquan McMillan standing out. Charles Harris, we we kind of figured, right, once the pads come on, once he starts going up against that first team, you know, in the heat of the moment, in the battle here, going up against Tunsil, going up against Jawan James, an experienced veteran, things are going to get a little tougher. So, you know, Charles Harris will need to start adjusting and learning, and, and he will, I am sure. Uh, the JHI concussion, very unfortunate situation. Seems like a freak kind of thing. Hopefully the Dolphins are very cautious with him, which I am sure they will be. Any takeaways from you, Sutton, that I haven't mentioned? No, I just appreciate Eric's time to kind of fill us in what's going on for training camp for us Dolphins fans that live outside of South Florida. So I just appreciate him coming on and sharing some of his insight with us. All right. Now we have a caller on hold. He's been on hold for quite a while, 13 minutes. We're going to bring him on here. Hopefully it's a him and not a she. Otherwise, I'm sorry, and we'll correct that as soon as we hear the voice. Uh, Welcome to Finsider Radio. Hello. 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 How are you? Oh, fine. Hold on, Jose. That's for you. Hello. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to Finsider Radio. What's going on? I'm a um, big fan of Miami Dolphins fan. I've been following up with the Miami Dolphins for years, decades, probably since I was a little boy. And okay. um, I've been reading up on, on the training camps, and I'm seeing what's going on. Sorry that I can't make none of the training camps because I work at 6 o'clock in the morning, but I would love oh, to man. come attend to some of the games. And I'm so glad we got a coach like Adam Gaze. He's a tough guy. I watched him through his career through other teams and stuff, and I'm so proud of Ryan Teddy here, how he stepped up. But I want our offense to continue on a path that we're going on our defense and go to bring a Super Bowl back to Miami. Yeah, no, Adam Gase. And what's your name? My name is Dietrich Boston. Dietrich. I'm first from Fort Myers, Myers, Florida. I'm from Fort yeah, Myers, Dietrich. Florida. Dietrich, uh, I'm going to put you on hold real quick, but you'll still be able to listen to us. So, Dietrich, thank you for calling. Thank you for staying on hold for, for long, that long and being patient with us. Dietrich, you are a first-time caller, and we're glad that you're here on Finsider Radio. And, and you want to know about Adam Gase and whether or not he can bring the Dolphins to a Super Bowl, right? Yes. All right. So, Dietrich, Adam Gase, when, when he was hired and when the process was going on, Dietrich, people told me from the organization from around the NFL that when you look at Adam Gase, you can compare him to Nick Saban in the terms of while Nick Saban's Nick Saban's a genius on the defensive side of the ball. Adam Gase is a genius on the offensive side of the ball. So he's been called, he's been compared, and he's been nicknamed the Nick Saban of offense. And it makes total sense because Adam Gase learned under Nick Saban, and we saw the offensive genius that he had in Denver. We saw him turn around Jay Cutler in Chicago, and now Jay Cutler can't even get a job. And we saw him transform Ryan Tannehill, or at least start to last season, and we expect that to fully continue this season. 
So can Adam Gase lead the Dolphins to a Super Bowl? Super Bowl, only one winner a year, right? Only one uh, team is the winner. The Patriots have a dynasty. Others have a dynasty. A lot of luck goes into winning a Super Bowl. In the Patriots' case, a lot of cheating goes on to win the Super Bowl. And <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of, you know, whether, that it's realistic to, well, yeah, whether it's realistic to fully expect a Super Bowl every year, that is the goal of every team. But to expect it, is it realistic? Probably not. You have to have a really elite team to get there. But what I do know is Adam Gase, and I am confident in saying, is that Adam Gase can make this team extremely competitive every single year, be an annual playoff contender, start going into deep runs into the playoffs, and then from there, you never know. All right, Dietrich, going to hang up the phone now. Uh, thank you again for calling Finsider Radio. We hope to hear from you next week. All right, we always love first-time callers. Okay. Yeah, that was wow. awesome. We are 45 minutes in. It feels like we are only 10 minutes in. I think uh, my daughter's sleeping. My wife's sleeping. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I put them my to bed. My kids are sleeping. They were listening to the show. That was uh, listeners number eight and nine there. And then Dietrich was number 10. <laughs> so uh, now, now we're back down to eight. Now we're back down to eight. Okay. So where do we go from here? We have a lot of questions in the live thread and on Twitter. We kind of touched everything in terms of training camp the offensive line, the rookies, based on our interviews with Richmond Webb and Eric Trader, and then talking about Isaiah Ford injury and Jay Ajayi and Rashad Jones up front in the beginning of the show. So what we're going to do, Sutton, we're going to jump to the live thread. We're going to pull questions from there. What do you have for us? Okay, we have a question from Wild Zion Beaver, and for anybody not affiliated with the Finsider, this is a legend, let me just tell you. And he's asking, you know, it's, it's centered around the offensive line again, um, but it's rightfully a question that we should be considering right now. We've had our issues with offensive line over the last, you know, 10 years. So we're a little bit jaded, but he basically asked, might we grab someone maybe from the Browns, someone with a good offensive line that they release. And I'm just talking O-line here. <clears throat> Basically, it doesn't matter if it's the Browns or the Cowboys, you know, the the teams that are colloquially seen as uh, teams that have strong offensive lines. It's going to be a case-by-case basis, but we'll take any player that's going to be an improvement over what we have. And I really have faith in Adam Gase and the front office to to turn that roster um, if they need to. So I think – and it's going to be different this year. It's going to be a different experience for us fans because roster cuts are done differently this year. So it's going to go straight from 90 down to 53. There's only going to be one roster cut there. So there's not going to be as much transactions during that preseason. But during that window where people are released, there's going to be a mad dash for people. So I think it's going to be an interesting dynamic to see how that all plays out with us and how rosters turn over before the regular season starts because if you bring someone in new right after the last preseason game, it's going to be tough for them to get adjusted to what you're doing unless there's already tremendous overlap from their previous team. So not to say that we won't sign somebody if they're good enough, but I wouldn't get my hopes up that there's going to be some Chad Pennington that falls into our lap or something like that. Yeah. The, that Chad Pennington was a once in a uh, decade thing, <laughs> in my opinion. 
That was a god. That was a godsend. And Tony Sperano must have been a saint at one point in his life <laughs> to get that gift. If Chad Pennington does not come to the Dolphins, Dolphins obviously don't make the playoffs, and Tony Sperano is probably out a year earlier than he was. But listen, we have Adam Gase now. I know he had one good season, and Sperano had one good season. And we've talked about that forever in terms of the differences between the two and, and how they are two different people and two different coaches and two different stories. Um, but yeah, like you said, Sutton, it is very, very hard for a player to come in at training camp after training camp, and especially during the regular season and start learning to become an instant starter, unless you're extremely desperate. Adam Gase is not that type of guy. We have another one from Redwood regarding Mike Pouncey. What's the plan for him participating in full pads at any point or extreme precaution. We kind of touched on that with Richmond Webb Redwood, and it's going to be extreme precaution. The Dolphins are not going to risk anything with Pouncey. Pouncey wants to play. Maybe you'll see a few reps here and there in the preseason, but probably nothing more than a series just to get him back into the groove. And so there's not too much rust uh, game one of the regular season, but the Dolphins want Pouncey for 16 plus games. They don't care about the preseason. They don't care about training camp. They are going to keep him healthy. You'll see them treat Pouncey the same way they treat older veterans around the NFL. One day of practice, if that per week. Brett Favre, towards the end of his career, barely practiced. Okay. Other guys in the NFL currently barely practice. They barely, you know, really old guys. And I say that they're like 37, 38. And <laughs> away from that. Uh, but yeah, they, they don't practice. They don't need to practice. So the Dolphins are going to do that with Pouncey. Anything else? Oh, and Redwood, yes. Richmond Webb, Hall of Fame. He does deserve the honor. But again, offensive line underrated guys it's hard to get people into the hall of fame yeah. like that all right so and anything else from the live thread nope i think the live thread is cashed out we can go ahead and move to the twitter feed all right we did get a bunch of questions on twitter throughout the show uh g miller bumpy jones let's see what his at twitter handle is at g miller underscore time says it let's say we pay landry any space to make moves next two years, bouncing and sue deals would be mandatory, if even willing to. Uh, G. Miller, the salary cap goes up every single year, and it goes up a lot. And teams are very creative in trying to figure out cap space, and the Dolphins are one of the best teams in the NFL at doing that. Now, in terms of restructuring Mike Pouncey, I am sure that is coming. Uh, they're going to see what happens this season. Who knows if he's not playing up to the level he wants to play it. If he's not playing a full 16 or even 12 or even eight games, he may say it's time to hang it up. As far as Ndamuk and Sue, I don't think the Dolphins need to restructure because listen, if they cut him, they can't cut him really until 2019 if they wanted to, which who knows if they will. 2019 it will basically be a wash because they'll get $13.1 million in dead money, but $15 million in cap savings. 2020, it obviously goes up from there. $4 million in dead money only, $18.37 in cap savings. That's a pre-June 1st cut. Post-June 1st is completely different. They can, if they want to, if they really want to move on from Endomic and Sue after this season, they can. $9 million in dead money in 2018, $17 million in cap savings. Okay, but then 2019 again, nine million, uh, 19 million in cap savings, four million in 2020 for dead money, 18.37 in cap savings. Now you also got to take into guaranteed contracts and so forth. 
But in terms of restructuring him, that's kicking the can down the road, something that Adam Gase likely does not want to do. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, pay Landry, figure it out from there. I don't think you can let Landry walk. There's no way, in my opinion. All right, I'm going to read off another Twitter question. I thought I saw one earlier before Richard Webb retweeted everything I said about him. Uh, I'm just scrolling through my (laughs) uh, notifications here. All right, Nicholas, at St. underscore Nick 25. This one's for you, Sutton. Does Kenyon Drake get an average of 10 touches a game this season? Love the show. Thanks for everything. Thank you, Nick, for listening. I I think it's a fantastic question, and I think because of the Ajayi injury, we're now kind of as fans contemplating what, well, what do we have behind him? What do we have with Kenyon Drake? What do we have with Damian Williams? Would we have to activate Devion Smith? Like wh- where are we at depth wise at running back? So I think it's a great question. Um, I do think that he'll get to 10 touches a game and that's because last year he averaged what, maybe two. So I think there's only, upward growth there and I think I I saw something on Twitter about Gase wanting to increase his workload last year but mentally he wasn't ready to absorb everything and from what I've seen is that this year he is able to absorb more of the mental aspect of the game and we know with coaches when a rookie running back comes in you have to be able to block You have to be able to do the fundamentals. So if he's been improving his craft in those areas, I think there's no reason to keep him off the field because we saw some of the big playmaking potential last year. It seemed like Gase wanted to get into that potential a little bit more, just wasn't able to work it out last year. But I think coming into this year, I think there's going to be a definite strategy for Kenyon Drake. And I think 10 touches a game is right exactly at what we'll see this year. I think it's a great prediction. All right. And one from our boy, Rob Cruz, actually asked three. We asked one of him to Richmond Webb. We asked the other one to Eric Trader. And uh, the other one we did not touch on. Expect any big changes with the defensive scheme with Burke in charge. Rob, No. Uh, the players have touched on this. Burke has touched on this. Gase has touched on this. No huge changes, really, the way that Burke calls the game, yes. Really, the way Burke prepares the players, yes. But in terms of actual schematic changes, just a few tweaks here and there, but don't expect anything major. The players are built for this system, and the Dolphins like that the players they have fitting in last year's system and just improvements here and sound technique and so forth. All right. Approaching one hour of the show, that means we are getting right back into football season. We are getting back into the groove. Preseason for us, Sutton, trying to shake that rust off and and getting back into the (laughs) game that we were used to during the 2016-2017 season. Jason Taylor going into the Hall of Fame this weekend. This will be our last topic we touch on here on Finsider Radio for this evening. But Jason Taylor getting enshrined. He's the second speaker to talk on Sunday or Saturday, I should say, during the ceremony part of the weekend. Listen, I went to Canton, Ohio, when Dan Marino was inducted. Special place, very special place. Uh, The speeches, really touching, emotional. I love the speeches because I work in communications. I work in public relations. So, you know, public speaking is a huge thing for me. I do it a lot. And, and I look at people and, and I look at it public speaking differently than most people. When they say football players, 
watch football games differently than most people. I, I watch speeches differently than most people. I'm weird like that. And you guys probably don't give a crap. And everyone probably just hung up the phone or their radio and are no longer listening. But <laughs> So we're down to two listeners, just me and you. <laughs> yeah, maybe my dad's still on the line. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, listen, really special stuff. You can't, I can't imagine the emotion that is going through not only Jason Taylor, but the others who are getting inducted this weekend as well. Any special memories? And I know there's tons from Jason Taylor's career, but any one that specifically stands out to you? Man, uh, all I have to say is it will be a great speech because you know it can go so many different directions. And then you have the added caveat of Jason being either married or formally married to Zach Thomas's sister. So there's all sorts of interesting layers to Jason's affiliation with the Dolphins organization. But for me personally, and this is kind of a random story, and this is when the Dolphins weren't doing so well, I can remember a game where we were playing against Chicago. It was probably about um, 2007, and we had started the season 0-6 or 0-5, somewhere in there. And we were playing Chicago, and we went into Chicago as 14-point underdogs. And I bet fairly significantly on that game, which is a big taboo for anyone <laughs> who bets. You're not supposed to bet on your own team. No. I just felt especially compelled in this game. And I can remember taking – I believe a 21 to nothing. Um, we, we were winning 21 to nothing. And I can remember Jason Taylor picking off a Rex Grossman pass and doing his typical swan dive kind of glide into the end zone. And just at that moment, it just like captured everything for me for Jason Taylor. Like a, he just makes plays. You don't know how he does it sometimes, but the dude just makes plays. And then, B, he just does everything so gracefully outside of that. So it was just kind of captured everything in a nice little ribbon for me with that play. So I'm going with that one, his interception return touchdown against Chicago. Um, The guy just wrecked game plans and wrecked teams single-handedly. And I've just been very lucky to be – uh, able to watch him grow as a dolphin and just have the kind of career that he did. That was just a blessing for me. Yeah. And we heard Richmond say it best. He had the ability to go in and change a game in just one play. And he did it many times throughout his career. Now I started becoming a dolphins fan in like 1995. So shortly after uh, Jason Taylor, shortly before Jason Taylor began his career with the Miami dolphins, of course, Jason Taylor drafted out of small school Akron uh, by Jimmy Johnson. And of course, it's, Jimmy pronounced, Johnson, a- it's pronounced Akron just to give I'm you sorry, a heads up there. I'm sorry, Mr. Ohio. Akron, yeah. Ohio. All right. There you go. There we go. Akron. Okay. Originally from Pittsburgh. But uh, yeah, Jimmy Johnson gives him a chance. Drafted in 1997. So I became a Dolphins fan about two years before Taylor started playing. And as we all know, when you're new at something, it takes a while to develop a passion for it. And Jason Taylor was certainly at the roots of my uh, beginnings of the Miami Dolphins, of my fandom. And he's one of the few Dolphins I'll never forget. 
uh, centerpiece of my fandom as I grew to love the Dolphins and now, of course, a diehard. And, and the enshrinement on Sunday is the perfect ending to his playing career. And for me, there's so many memories of Jason Taylor. I remember that Chicago Bears game. That was the one that Ricky Williams ran wild, right? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember, to be honest. I just, okay. I, I just remember I remember going up 21 nothing and being like, yes, I'm going to win money, and Jason Taylor's a stud. Yeah, so if that's the same one I remember watching that game. I remember watching all the games. Uh, you know, it's hard to take 13 years with the Dolphins and then two years with two teams that shall not be named here on the show and narrow it down <laughs> to just one memory. You know, whether he was wrecking havoc with Zach Thomas or later pairing up with Cameron Wake in, in his career, he was a force to be reckoned with always. And when he came back to Miami in 2011, and he came back before, before his stint with the uh, dreaded Jets, uh, it was a feeling of, you know, this is where he belongs as he puts the finishing touches on his career. And I think we all knew in 2011 that when he came back to Miami that this was it. This was the last year of his career. And, and it was. And we saw that on the field as well, unfortunately. But that's just what happens. That's life. Uh, but, but it felt right. And, and it felt like it was the right thing to do, regardless of the role he was in. Got to retire a Dolphin still a big part of the Dolphins organization today, a mentor to Charles Harris. And Taylor has openly said he would love an official role with the team, but we'll see where that leads to down the road. All right. There we have it. Finsider Radio. We are back. We are back, boys and girls. We are back for a full hour every single week until the Dolphins win the Super Bowl in February. How about that? <laughs> that sounds That's- like a plan. I'm I'm talking about Madden sign. Just relax. Uh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, no, there you have it, guys. We, we had a jam-packed show. Great guests, Eric Trader, Richmond Webb. Really good stuff from them both. We will continue to bring on guests. We will continue to try to mix it up, and we hope that you continue to join us for the 2017-2018 season. Anything else? We wrap it up for the evening. Nah, just. Love my Dolphins fam and can't wait for this regular season to start. Uh, you know, we're we're so close right now, and I, I think we can all feel it. We're getting back into one-hour shows. You know, there's more information to chew on now. There's more important decisions to make. And in the NFL, the landscape is always changing. So tune in next week because we'll probably have something wildly different from you for you than this week. Absolutely. So, for certain the creepy soccer dad, I am MC Money. Thank you for listening to us on Finsider Radio. Have a great Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. 
We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Support for Pivot comes from Polestar. At Polestar, every inch of every vehicle they design is thoughtfully made. They're made to transform auto performance, accelerating from 0 to 60 in less than 4.2 seconds with fully electric all-wheel drive. They're made to elevate the driving experience with LED headlights and a panoramic glass roof. And they're made to uphold a greater responsibility to the planet using sustainable materials and energy-saving systems. The result is a car that combines the best of today with the technology of tomorrow. Pure performance, pure design, Polestar. Design yours and book a test drive today at polestar.com.